Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 87 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. And hey, Liam, check out the adjective, podcast. <laughs> It's coming up, isn't it? This is the episode. I think you're right, yeah. I think it is indeed that episode. You're, you're, I can tell you're excited about it because you're already can't, bringing it in. Can't wait, can't wait. And I, I've got to say, uh, I, should, I haven't, haven't given you an introduction, so this is my esteemed colleague, uh, sports journalist and Twitter blue tick wanker, Liam Happ. And it, for, for a change, I'm saying... Good afternoon to you, because I've bagged myself a day off, and uh, your uh, your little ones at, um, at nursery at the moment, and, and we're just taking advantage of the free time and, and banging out a podcast. Yeah, we might as well take advantage of it. And by the way, anyone listening who's wondering, that is the voice of Dean Ayas, who is so excited <laughs> about <I> doing <laughs> an afternoon episode. I forgot to introduce <laughs> yep. myself. Yeah, but that's okay. It's it's gonna be free and fast. It's five o'clock somewhere, Dean. Mhm. It's um it's quarter to one here. Um, it, it, it's it's I think the last time we did an afternoon uh, an afternoon podcast was when we uh we uh, did um the episode with Guy Evans, the author of the Nitro book, which is well worth having to listen to if you haven't already. Nice little lunchtime interview. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely check it out and the book itself, of course. Very good book. Yeah. And uh, yeah, even even like as we've mentioned before, even Eric Bischoff can't deny the things in there, mainly because he said half of them himself. But yes, so um, today we are back with another Nitro watch along from June the tenth, nineteen ninety six, and this is the uh, they didn't call them this at the time, but this is the go home show for the Great American Bash ninety six. Yes, indeed it is, and we're already shaping up to have a pretty decent pay-per-view. I mean, we are we are riding the the crest of a wave of enjoyable WCW Nitro content, which I'm sure it's just a complete and utter coincidence that Hulk Hogan's not there live in person. Absolutely, hasn't been for a couple of months. Yeah, They're, nothing. Just 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 so happens. Yeah. Obviously, they loaded up last week's one with about ten minutes worth of promo videos just to make sure we don't forget about Poochie. But mm-hmm. the in-ring product has been good, and the the pay-per-view is looking interesting. Very interesting, yeah. I mean, we we will see. Well, we will see from this episode because obviously the point of this episode is to um is to to build up the show and make you want to buy it. But um, I have um I'm I'm ready to go. I have I have cleared uh cleared down my Ric Flair style banquet table, having had my lunch. Uh, I haven't uh, I haven't drunk too much champagne, so I am I am fine to carry on. Um, and Get we have another glass then. Yeah, it's not too. We'll do no. Um, and um, and we are we're all set on the zero 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 zero. So as I said, if you want to uh, watch along, this is Monday Nitro, 
from June the 10th, 1996. Liam, are you, are you ready to go with this? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Okay, well, we will press play. Oh, didn't you uh, didn't you say before you press play, actually, you, you might have a delivery coming because we're doing this in the afternoon. Two. That Two deliveries. We will, we will wing it because we really want to get to the Great American Bash that bad. We are excited. This is a, this is not just a golden age for podcasting, but a, a golden age of the WCW historic timeline, summer of 96. We want more. And it's a golden age for home delivery services. Apparently so. Yeah. Well, um... You can uh, you can place your bets now on whether Liam will get zero, one, or two deliveries coming during this podcast. But we will press play in three, two, one. Cue burning buildings. Okay. Oh, there's a spark. Yep, we have burning buildings. There's uh, Poochie. I I honestly don't know how these buildings stay up. They're on fire every week. <laughs> it's um, they just go to another town. Ah, they keep they keep that wildfire burning all through the United States. Yeah, it's time to get rocking, Liam. It is indeed. Oh, that's a good, oh. impressive display of pyro. That's that's picking up each week, isn't it? It is, and the venue looks the venue looks better. I think we were in the Asheville Civic Center last week. Uh, where are we this week? Let me look up. Oh, we're in the we're in Wheeling, West Virginia, which isn't the most romantic of sounding of places, but it looks all right. Judging by the crowd's chance, it's Zabisco country, if there's such a thing. Well, AWA, where he was the world champion of, that was sort of Minnesota. And oh the, yeah, the... no, nowhere near here, but the the crowd no. are digging him. So, uh, Larry's throwing some big words out here. Nitrodites and neophytic wrestlers. Shivani's looking like, I have a clue what you're talking about, mate. There's that Nick Bockwinkle influence. Yep. So, um, Zabisco's still doing the hill thing, slating the footballers because we've got Steve McMichael and Kevin Green actually trying to wrestle the, the seasoned yeah. wrestlers, Ric Flair and Arn Anson, in six days. But, you know, as an old school wrestler himself, as a former tag team partner, a championship tag team partner of Arn Anderson, of course, he is going to uh, he's going to be behind the wrestlers. Yeah, we, we have mentioned our love of the enforcers many times on this episode, on this podcast in general, haven't we? Mm hmm. And uh, he's just hyped up uh, one of the matches we've got to tonight, which is uh, giant against Scott Norton. Um, oh, I think we're I think we're getting a recap. Yep. Oh, we recap of Scott Hall and Sting. Yeah. So two weeks ago we had the infamous Scott Hall arrival. Now they're recapping last week where he has a bit of a confrontation with Sting. He has, as you mentioned right at the start, because you're so gosh darn excited, Dean. He has promised a big surprise for this episode. A big surprise, indeed. Here we go. I've got yeah. a, a big surprise. Oh, this way he describes himself as the medium-sized man, isn't yeah. it? I don't want to live in a place where Scott Hall is medium-sized. <laughs> the man is like, what, six, seven? Six, seven, six, eight, something like that. Yeah, he's a big, big guy. 
Or I can hear the yes, 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 no, no, no music of Harlem Heat. Or is it ice, 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 cold, cold, cold? I can never tell. Yes, 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 no, 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 sure. Yeah, I like to cast doubt over it because that was always a schoolyard debate, what was being said. Oh. Obviously, TV sound quality and apparently our hearing was much inferior back then. <laughs> Clearly. So it's Booker T one-on-one. So he's obviously Booker T became a, a great singles wrestler in his own right a few years later. But at this point in time, he is very much one half of a tag team with his brother. And, and the, the better half, it must be said. Oh, yeah. I think it's been apparent to everyone the golfing ring work between the two. But they've also started to slowly show that in the showcase of the, you'll think um funny enough these these exact two men teamed up through necessity uh no i'm i'm thinking of i thought i was listening to a man called sting there <laughs> you think we made that reference last week the similarities between steiner rise the man called sting and it just caught me off guard sting I... and booker t teamed up at uncensored which kind of showed that they valued booker t a little more than stevie ray will yeah such as this match right here we'll see more and more little signs of increased faith in booker t to carry the load and yeah as you said by 98 he was a singles champion yeah so he is in singles action against Scott Steiner, who came down to the ring, still looking like he really doesn't want to be a babyface, just sort of begrudgingly slapping a couple of hands without even looking at people, just looking straight ahead, generally just looking bored and pissed off. And he still, I can confirm that he still has the physique of a balloon animal at a kid's party. <laughs> he, he, he does look like... Uh, one pin into his bicep and you'll start flying around the arena erratically. Depending on what muscle poses he does, he can do a dog, a giraffe, a, you know, I think he can do a swan. Yeah. And Tempest flaring. Uh, yeah, it's going to say face to face. I mean, you think about it, these two became... Right to the very end of WCW, this this was the world championship match on the last Nitro. And yeah, they, they ran it early. They right to the end. Yeah, they ran it early because they main event with Sting and Flair, which in itself is a sweet, poignant bit of uh, poet poetry. But they, I think, pretty much opened the show after Flair's promo with a world. They were nonetheless the world title versus United States title match. Funnily enough, that was because, Dean, um, they they wanted to get the belt on Booker T before WWE fully took over because for all the reasons we've already mentioned about Scott Steiner, they were much more keen on Booker T coming over than Steiner. Yeah, and of course, Scott Steiner came over eventually. And I, I remember the massive pop he got. Was it Survivor Series that yeah. he debuted at? One, I don't know what year it was now. Get rid of fucking Mike! Yeah, it was just a tremendous pop, and it kind of all went downhill from there, didn't it? it? That was that was basically the peak of his singles run for WWE. Yeah, because you know they, it's their way or the highway at this stage with no competition, and they absolutely insisted that he had to put over Triple H in a Triple H style match. And you know, I, they're, they're, I think, 
Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, there, there are some great in-ring talents in their peak that do not come at looking to their full strengths if they're forced to do a, a Triple H special, at that, especially during that reign of terror. But, as we said, Scott Steiner at that stage is particularly limited and really needs protecting. And they did not yeah. care to do that at all. And, and I think another guy that fits into that category never would was never better than his debut appearance was Taz. You know, another huge pop when he de- debuted at whichever year's Royal Rumble it was. Beat Kurt Angle clean. And after that, just all downhill from there. Well, the theory is, and it's a sound theory, but eight days later, the Radicals showed up. And that really diminished a lot of the buzz and the specialness that Taz had about him coming over from another company, being smaller, but being a much more intense, high-octane worker. And when you suddenly brought in Perry Saturn, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and it's a thing we saw later on with guys like, any time Vince McMahon signs someone like Neville or or now Pac again, or AJ Styles, for some reason you always hear these reports that he wants to portray them like Mighty Mouse which in itself yeah. is a dated reference, but but that was how they tried to do Taz, was that he would get beaten up by everyone because he's small, but he'd be really tough and resilient. And it turned out that no one cared about that. Can you imagine if ECW portrayed him like that? Mm. Well, we've got a, a, a vertical suplex reversed into a uh, scorpion death drop, or yeah, inverted DDT, as Shivani calls it. And this has been... I know we've we've been sidetracked about, but this has been a this has been a really good opener. Yeah, they've gone at a, a fairly reasonable pace. They've not tried to rush around too much, and it's easy yeah. to forget that even though these two are like up and coming talents in WCW, they are still nonetheless six foot tall, muscle bound men. So they're not yeah. going to rush around like some of the guys we were just talking about would. But it's still a much higher pace than you get from your typical Hogan versus Sullivan match. Yeah, and they're playing to their strengths. Yeah, we're seeing Scott Steiner doing his suplexes, and uh, there we go. Just as I say that, he's doing that corner spinning Rolling corner suplex. suplex. Love it. And and Booker T's doing his his kicks and and showing off his agility, and they yeah, they are playing to strengths here. Absolutely. Crowd are into it. Scott signaling for the uh, Frankensteiner, which is countered by Booker T, who grabs onto the ropes. There's the Harlem sidekick. So they've built this up nicely and they're running through all their trademark moves for now. But especially for, for this time frame, Dean, we, we weren't as expectant of, of high tempo matches. This is this is quite good stuff. Hmm. Harlem hangover maybe. Oh, he's gone for a splash. Good elevation. Completely whiffed I, on it. I like I like the uh, the the words of uh, Shivani. Nice swan dive, but he hit the jagged rocks below. <laughs> and he wins and with an Scott, overhead belly to belly. Yeah, Scott Steiner takes advantage of that miss and gets the clean win. Uh, that's a really good opener. Have you noticed how it goes down much better if, if Scott Steiner hits one overhead belly-to-belly belly and then finishes the match, as opposed to that Triple H match where he just hit about 20 of them and did nothing else? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good opener. I'll make you right there. Uh, it's just interesting to see what constitutes a a fast-paced all-action opener back then. It's it can't hold a candle to some of the athleticism we see in the modern day, but it didn't need to either, especially considering their physiques. Yeah, I mean. We've, yeah, we've got to consider this is 1996 after all. So, yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna compare to to wrestling the style of wrestling we see nowadays. Uh, there's uh, so we've just seen a clip of uh, Michael and Green training in the gym. Yeah, well, coming up is some of your favourite. It's uh, oh, this is a this is a complete and utter. They're running through lots of promos here. They're really up in the production. I think didn't we say that this this first hour was unopposed and the second hour was head to head with not with Raw, wasn't it? Yeah. So I guess they're really trying to tell us what what to stick around for. That's true, but Flair uh, and Ants are the main event, so they'll be on at the end. Absolutely, but at the end of the day, it's welcome to see them do a proper recap. You know, with fresh yeah. that's a fresh filmed uh, video insert from Jimmy Hart hyping up Scott Norton versus the Giant, and the the, the production's just going up. Oh, Scott Steiner's promo has been interrupted by Deborah McMichael. Oh, the dazzling mic skills. She's very sorry, but she has to speak to Mr. Oakland. Take her, take her away, Mean Jean. She looks very upset. If I was very upset, I, I don't know if I'd want Mean Jean taking me away. Th- that was that was very kind of Scott Steiner. You could say that he's doing her an egg. An egg. That's a reference to another time he stumbled over his words in Scott Steiner fashion. Oh. So what's uh, what's Deborah McMichael worried about? So everyone are great athletes. She she's referring to him as Stephen, and she thinks he might go crazy and hurt someone permanently. It is your fault, Deborah. It's definitely your fault. Why didn't you just drink the champagne rather than spill it on the floor? Yeah. Ric Flair has a reputation. Because, uh, of course, this whole thing started, yeah, as you say, with, with Flair flirting with Deborah, who just happened to be in the same place every single show, no matter what town they were in. Well, me and Gene going full gonzo journalist there and saying, no, it is Ric Flair's fault. He's been antagonising you guys. He's not not afraid to take a side, is Gino. Mm. He, she wants it to be called off. Now, isn't isn't this great? Because we've said before about how Mean Gene helps guide people through. Now, Deborah McMichael is not used to doing promos. And actually, to be to credit to him, he hasn't had to do an awful lot. But those that's been really good just to see a few times where he's just sort of fed her a line, hasn't he? Hmm. The thing is, is I've, I've noticed this whenever, like, because there'd be plenty more instances, especially when she becomes a, a an actual full time manager later on yeah. in her career, is that Deborah never lacked the confidence to speak in public. She hmm. just wasn't particularly good at it 
but getting getting stage fright or forgetting her lines was was never really an issue. She she's come up right. there for a first time promo. She's gone and she's done it. It wasn't great, but I suppose in this instance, because she's just a she you know she's just a member of the audience at this point. It comes off as naturalistic that she's yeah, speaking yeah. like you or me. But then they try and make her a manager, and she tried to hype up like Jeff Jarrett and that, and it's like nah. No, that, you know, for a first-time promo on live TV, that was bloody good. Yeah, she just basically here went comes, out there and was herself. Yeah, here comes your mate DDP, and he is against a man that we've not seen on Nitro before, Jim Powers. The last time I would have seen Jim Powers at this stage of things would have been several years ago as a kind of a, a, a an, an upper... What would you say, an upper echelon jobber in the WWF? I suspect that's exactly what he'll be doing here as well. Precisely, yes. And he, he kind of looks like a pound shop Scott Steiner in a way, doesn't he? Yeah, With the another, outfit and the physique. We've got another party balloon animal here. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so DDP has been just winning every match since Slamboree when he, in the storyline, picked his fortunes back up, didn't he? Won the Battle Bowl. Um, He's got some of the bingo winnings back or whatever that storyline was. Obviously, most of that transpired on Saturday night. Shouldn't be a problem we encounter too much from here on out. Uh, And yeah, especially against someone like Jim Powers, that winning streak is not going to stop here. This is all part of that slow build-up to, you know, by, by, I think remember when we covered Halloween Havoc 96 a few years ago, Dean, um, he was winning quite well and decisively, but competitively against Eddie Guerrero. So we're only a few months removed from him being a definite mid-card commodity. Mm. And it's the, the classic introduction of a character that you bring them in as a heel to get the crowd reacting to them and get the crowd familiar with their character and then you turn them babyface. Yeah, he's, for all his sense of purposes, he is still essentially doing the stuff he was doing as that lower card comic relief bad guy. He's still, he's all the facials, he's chomping the cigar on the way to the ring. He's still very much that wrestler. And a lot, a lot of those um, characteristics would stay even up to Havoc, if I remember correctly. He's giving uh, powers a lot here, mm. and I'm, I'm hoping that this will end with a with a diamond cutter out of nowhere, because that really just puts across how that move can just be hit without warning. Yeah, we've already had a couple of nice reversals on. Nitro, and I think the commentators are actually referencing that now. Mm. Oh, now now Zabis goes straight back onto bad mouth in the football players. (laughs) And I think the thing with um, DDP's babyface turn is that it's very much like you get babyface turns nowadays, so he's almost ahead of the curve, in that the fans recognise how good the, the the athlete, the entertainer, the wrestler is, and decide they want to cheer him. Yeah. Have a heel, keep being a heel. Let let the let the cheers and the positivity build up. Keep them being a heel and then just simply have them be a heel to other heels. 
which is one of my favourite moments on the whole story arc. My least favourite would be that as soon as, uh, in WWE especially, but not exclusively WWE, as soon as they turn babyface on another hill, they'll then have them smiling and waving during their entrance and completely defeating the whole thing that got them over in the first place. And it's no coincidence that Stone Cold Steve Austin was was such a superstar because he didn't start smiling as soon as he turned babyface. Yeah. In fact, he snarled even more. Although I do, I do remember the times where he would smile to someone and then in the blink of an eye would stop smiling to show you that he was putting the smile on. He was actually pissed off. Oh, absolutely. But of course the point stands. If, if anything, that reinforces it. Yeah. Great stuff from Jim Powers here. Really good drop kick. Page has given him a lot and that's very much it on brand for what Page has been doing. We've seen him give his opponent a lot and then hit the, what was it, um, DDP very recently where the only um, move he hit was that cutting. move. Yeah. Even gets a bit of a taunt and a pose in. So it was a basic diamond cutter, Dean, but you'll be, ple- you'll be pleased to know that he's really, uh, he's really played to the crowd. Like, yeah, that he's done. He's smoked. Yeah. And that and that builds up because that gets a bit of an extra pop, and it puts the move over. And I mean, it doesn't hurt Jim Powell because, as we said, he's a jobber level. But basically, you know, he had time to to celebrate before covering him. That's right. Now we're we're recapping what was already recapped last week. I suppose was, we should give yeah. him credit for for really keeping everyone in tune with this, but we've seen it before, obviously. Um, yeah, they're pretty much shoehorning Chris Benoit into what they presumably would have done with Brian Pillman. Yes. But the Horseman Dungeon of Doom storyline has just, it's run its course because they have allied and feuded and allied and feuded so much now. I think it was, historically, it was only what entailed between Benoit and Sullivan at the pay-per-view that woke people back up again. Yeah, I was going to say, the Benoit Sullivan match is, is this coming pay-per-view, isn't it? Yeah. And it kind and of just the, breathed, the breathed life. Cut anywhere? Yes, indeed. Yeah. A famous match. So, uh, obviously, this feud will get a life of its own, but for the time being, it's, it's the only thing keeping this tedious on-off saga going between the two heel factions. Yeah, and keeping Kevin Sullivan on the TV. <laughs> we could always dress up as a granny again. You love that, don't you? Oh, if only. And there's uh, Pillman with his I respect you booker man. So, so Sullivan respects Flair and Anderson, but that's it. Out of the horseman. Yeah. And the talk about respect, it is basically the Pillman feud. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yes, this, this is a much longer version of the hype. <laughs> yeah. Know. And I've got to say, it's, it's not filling me with excitement. No. Because because for everything we've we've kind of underscored there, 
it feels like they're just extending a dead feud. And it it did, it really did take the work of both men to suddenly just have this ahead of its time barn burner that really woke people back up. And as we know, is over the next 14 months their feud would go on for, it would transcend Horseman and Dungeon of Doom anyway and become more of a personal thing. Ooh. More so, hype videos. Oh, wow. Video now for Conan, who, of course, had um, he had a bit of a health scare. He was in the hospital last week. Sounds like he's on the road to recovery, so uh, best wishes to him. He's, he is someone that we've had uh, the odd uh, conversation with. Um, maybe one day we can get him on. We'd love to. We, we have. I think we reached out to him, but uh, obviously he's not in the best of health right now, so that's not happening yet. Yeah, never say never. You know, we can only try and get some more Dosto alumni on, and hopefully that will happen. Get a couple more this year, it'll be amazing, won't it? Definitely, yeah. And this video package is being done to his underrated uh, theme tune from back then, which has to be one of my favourite Conan theme tunes because it doesn't involve him rapping over it. <laughs> and he is now with uh, Mean Gene. Uh, mean Gene's earning his money again tonight, isn't he? Yeah, he gets a bat. They're really hyping the whole fact that he's the first Latin United States champion. So it's you can, especially with someone like Eric Bischoff in charge, you can just smell the uh, the the attempt to globalize and tap into markets with this booking decision. So he he's saying that at the Great American Bash, he is facing. El Gato, a legend from South America, which stinks massively of bullshit to me. That yep. El Gato is Spanish for the cat. So is is that going to be Ernest Miller or someone? Or am I preempting a? No, a it doesn't turn into anything cool like that. And to be no. honest, I always preferred Black Forest Gato anyway. <laughs> So really, I mean, this this is the first time I've seen Nitro really do a go-home show, which mm. is another sign that they have switched now to Nitro being the flagship show. You would yes. imagine there was a lot more hype on Saturday night than we were seeing for some of those 95, early 96 pay-per-views. Uh, and I've just looked up, yes, El Gasso was, uh, was Pat Tanaka under a mask. Yeah, it was, I... I, I it's been a few years since I've watched Great American Bash '96, and I look forward to watching it again if we if we do line up very soon, which seems to be the prevailing opinion. But um, yeah, I don't remember there being anything dicey about it. It was it wasn't obviously wasn't one of the most important reasons to watch the pay per view either. No, although apparently I won't say any more than we will. Uh, we will, the the entrance music of El Gato will apparently sound very familiar. What, WCW recycling entrance music? No, don't be daft. Could it be? Yeah. So here comes and... two two old rivals, because you'll remember Sting and Meng fought, ironically, just talking about Conan, Sting and Meng fought over the United States title a couple of years before this, when there was a stud stable in WCW. Oh, yes. Those Colonel were the Robert days. Parker. Back when there was still WCW wrestling on ITV, I think 94 was pretty much the last year they did. 
Now you found a website because you posted a link on the, on our Twitter feed at because WCW. If you want to give us a follow over there, um, which was what, what was it? It was just old, basically old TV listings. The obviously... TV and the television and radio database. The website for anyone interested in a bit of nostalgia is tvrdb.com all letters tvrdb.com tv and radio database and you can look up like you know london weekend television channel 5 channel 4 you find a year and it's not complete but there's there is a very large section of 20th century tv listings and you can rediscover what was on ITV on a, as we did on a, on a Saturday to see what was next to WCW worldwide, and uh, you can look up classic you know Big Break Generation game and things like that as well. Big Break in the Generation. Oh, I used game. to love that one-two punch on a Saturday evening. So Meng is in charge of this one. He's battering Sting with punches. Sting then missed a drop kick, and Meng's back on top again. Indeed. Um, yeah, they, they, these two always compatible with one other. Oh, Not yeah. Necessarily... Well, it's just a safe pair of hands. Yeah, you, exactly. He is one of your, uh, as you always put it, the bricks bricks to the mortar, isn't it? Or mortar to the bricks. He's the mortar to the bricks. Way. He holds so, it all together. They will, yeah. they will never have a match that makes you go, wow, this is amazing. But they will go out there and do exactly what they need to do. And obviously, considering uh, their... St- their relative stances on the totem pole, it will usually be Sting selling and then going over like a valiant hero. Yeah. And and I've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating that, you know, whether you know him as, as or refer to him as Meng or Haku, at this period, pretty much the entire 1990s, he does move between the two companies a bit, but there is no point in time where this man is unemployed. He is a valuable asset to any wrestling company. Especially in the bar afterwards. Yeah. I bet they wish they had him in, in WWE in 1995. They'd have sent him out drinking with Shawn Michaels on a nightly basis. <laughs> Zabisco accusing referee Nick Patrick of a slow count in, for Meng. Shivani just saying because uh, there's a roll-up attempt by Sting that that Patrick is counting with, as he put it, the same cadence. Yeah, they love that word over there, don't they? Every time they speak about referees. I've heard Jim Ross mention that constantly, the cadence of the referees' count. The pace. Surely it's the pace of the count. Yeah, consistency. I mean, that's cadence the thing. It's how you speak. Right? Yeah, but, that, but they love it in American commentary. Ah, oh, now Meng has fallen on him, on his front, and Sting has basically picked his legs up and put him in the uh, Scorpion Deathlock, which I've not seen from done like that before. And he's won the match. Nice. You 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 might be interested to know though. However, there is a second um, definition of cadence, which is a sequence of notes or chords comprising the close of a musical phrase. Well, thank you, Susie Dent. So maybe that's the one they use. That's probably, uh, yeah, that's... that's it still right. sounds like garbage. They're, they're inferior yeah. to English to us. We know that. Sorry, Americans listening in. <laughs> Sp- speaking of um, trying to 
say that Brits are superior to Americans, Dean, we've now got highlights of Regal and Duggan. Yes. Now, I do. I don't know if you noticed them while we were talking, but they basically tried to get Dave Taylor to do a posh accent. Now, Dave Taylor, uh, if you are listening from outside the UK, Dave Taylor is from a city called Bradford in Yorkshire, where they talk with a very broad northern accent. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone famous from Bradford that Americans would know. All I can think of is the Yorkshire Ripper, which is a terrible example. Yeah. Um, and he has tried to kind of soften that accent and sound a bit posh, which is what Regal is able to do. And Dave Taylor was just terrible at trying to do that. That sounded awful. Uh, Gareth Gates, Kimberly Walsh, Melissa Steele, Tasmin Archer, all from Bradford. Oh, there That's you not go. That's probably not, yeah, I don't think that many Americans know um, Gareth Gates. Okay, we've got Bobby Heenan and Deborah McMichael, and Heenan has got Deborah into the dressing room and shut the door now, and we hear we hear screams, and all I can say is it was a different time. <laughs> oh, and here are the footballers. Oh, no, it's not. No. It's Renegade, isn't it? Oh, is that who it is? Yes, it is. Okay, this is all a blur, but they're now attacking a couple of wrestlers after... Yeah. What, roughing up Deborah in the... Oh, Joe Gomez in the Renegade, their opponents... Ah, so so they were supposed to be facing Joe Gomez in the Renegade later on in the show, and those two just so happened to be past the dressing room when this happened. And now they're beating the ever-loving shit out. So that was all a bit of a blur. So here's... Well, we have Regal's music. I think this is going to be Dave Taylor then. Yeah, um... Yes, so, it is. Dave Taylor, a man who, a man who once sent me flying about ten feet down an entrance ramp, ramp an FWA show in Portsmouth. And he almost did the same to Jeeves or Wooshed or whichever one this is coming out with him. That's Jeeves, yeah. That's Jeeves. Who is also Wildcat Willie, I think, in case you were not there. Thankfully, he's got the right costume. So I'm I'm presuming them showing the replay of Duggan and Taylor. I'm presuming Taylor's going to get is, his in this match. Yeah, this is uh, Duggan v Taylor. Basically. Although I maintain that Taylor was doing a humanitarian thing. He was stopping he Duggan was. from maiming someone with a two by four. Yes, yes, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is the baby face in this scenario, if you're confused. Because I certainly am. You're just uh, supporting your fellow countrymen. It sounds that way. I, I said last week, or, or on the last watch line, I said I sound like what a heel commentator would say. But when when a babyface cheats as much as Jim Duggan does, it's hard not to feel sorry for the other side. He pretty he pretty much busts out a plank of wood and tapes his fist with no provocation whatsoever. But I suppose at this stage of his career, the feeling is he's Jim Duggan. He can do what he wants. <laughs> yeah, that is a valid point. That is his gimmick at this stage. 
his gimmick is waving a flag and a bit of wood and putting people over when they need to be put over. His gimmick is, is if you shout USA and wave a flag, you can get away with any criminal act. He'd fit right in in politics right now, wouldn't he? <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. Shivani is getting word in his ear that there are people willing to wrestle in place of Joe Gomez and the Renegade. Mm. A bit of suspense, a bit of on-the-fly unpredictability. Hopefully it'll be a decent storyline. I have not looked up what happens on this episode in advance, by the way, so I'm just going to enjoy this for where it is at face value. Oh, I have, but I won't spoil it for you. Thank you. Can you're, you're such can a good you spoil friend. something that happened 25 years ago? You can, you can when certain details are completely lost on one's memory. Like, for instance, I, I know what happens at the pay-per-views around this time, but I'm not going to have a, a, a complete and utter memory of every TV storyline. So some of these catch me off guard. So, <gasps> oh! Would, would you like to take that one, Dean? Yeah, they've just announced that the... What, the world tag team title to be on the line because Sting, who's already wrestled tonight, but Sting and Luger will be defending those belts against Flair and Anderson. And if, So if basically, it... the moral of the story is, if you've got a match uh, against some lower-level opponents, beat the shit out of them backstage and you'll be rewarded with a tag title shot. You laugh, but isn't that pretty much how they booked half of Edgy's title reigns later on in his career? Before he retired the first time. Yeah, but wasn't he a heel at that point? So are um, Flair and Anson. So are Flair and Anson. Very good point. But the idea is, is you shouldn't be saying you can just go, oh, because otherwise you'd be thinking, why why doesn't everyone just attack everyone? Mm. Well, Taylor missed a, um, a twisting crossbody off the second rope, which he never basically... Would hit any normally anyway, but he puts his foot on the ropes after Duggan hits the three-point stance, and Taylor is now nails Duggan from behind with a big right hand into the corner. He goes, and we have those classic British move of what our American friends know as a European uppercut. We just know in Britain as a forearm uppercut. Shiavoni is telling everyone to celebrate Father's Day by sitting around the TV and watching Great American Bash. There's the taped fist from the babyface Duggan. And he's got the tape, like, hanging from his hand, and the referee doesn't... The referee raises the arm that's got a roll of tape hanging from it. Yeah. They're not even bothering to try at this stage. No. So, um... Remind me, Dean, what what nefarious, heinous act did um, Dave Taylor perpetrate to deserve that? He, I think he rammed him into the turnbuckles at one point. Uh, he he stole his two by four, and Duggan had to go to uh, whatever the American equivalent of being curious to get another one. He had to scratch his back with something else that weekend. Oh, I've got a telescopic back scratch. Cost me two pounds, the greatest two pounds I ever spent. I did. I did not realise we were going to like segue straight into that, but I'm kind of glad we did. Yeah. The random stuff you get on a nitro watch along. 
Oh, here we go. We're getting a, uh, a hype video for Rey Mysterio, who will be debuting against Dean Malenko on this pay-per-view. And... Ah. See, now, of all the matches set for the pay-per-view that probably deserve a hype video on Nitro, this has got to be high on the list. As you just touched upon, Mysterio's not wrestled for the company yet. Malenko's not really been on recent Nitros either. So, yeah, this is one worth telling us about, whereas uh, other matches on the show are getting hyped by the wrestlers themselves because they're getting TV time. And um, What amazes me, though, is that yeah, they've, they've got footage of Rey Mysterio from AAA, and the thing that he did that amazed everybody, because this is what he did in ECW, were those those variations of the Hurricane Runners. So they didn't show any of them on the on the uh, on the highlight package. Well, you saw our mood this Scott Steiner was early. Do you want to make him in a worse mood? That's the point. Maybe you know, they maybe they want to uh, have that as a surprise on the show. Do you know what I love it? We're we're about to have Mean Gene busy again interviewing um, Bubba Rogers and Jimmy Hart. Bubba has got another big clump of hair that he is cutting during the like the promo time. Um, and we said about this last week where he just brought out this random bunch of hair. By this point, we can establish that's not John Tenter's hair that he's cut off. He's just... It's not. He's presumably trawling the barbershops of, of America, stealing hair from the floor, and then bringing it to Nitro to cut as a visual aid, as a taunt. I don't know if you'd need to steal it. I'm sure... I'm sure if you walked into a barber shop and said, could I take some hair from your floor? They'd say, yeah, go on. Look at the man on your television screen, Dean. Does that look yep. like the sort of man who would ask? Or does that look like the sort of man that would go in, steal it, and whatever wallets and purses have been left over by the waiting area? It's, it's the hat, isn't it? It's the hat. He is a bad suspicious. man. He doesn't ask, he takes. And to be honest, that, this whole storyline has kind of revitalised him because what, what was he doing before that? Not much. Oh, and we've got a clip of Savage arriving in the wrestling gym that, uh, that Michael and Green are in. They so, are doing a much better job, as you said, of production, of just telling us what's coming up later. It's a very nice upgrade. So up next is yeah. apparently the Giant against Scott Norton. You'll remember, Dean... He cheap-shotted and squashed his tag team partner, Ice Train, last week. Yes. And it looked like when Scott Norton came down to have a word with the Giant about it all, it looked like they had built into that match. Kind of deflated a bit by having the Giant lay him out there and then. I mean, he looks dominant, don't get me wrong, the Giant. But if they're going to have this match now, you'd surely not have him get beaten up. Or, I don't know. There is, there is a real. Oh, here we go. We're, we're being shown what he, what he did. But yeah, they, they've booked this ass backwards, basically, haven't they? Yeah. Oh, and do you know the reason why? Because WCW. That is the answer on my card. Yes, congratulations. It's the first time I've ever got an answer right in my life. I'm so pleased. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, look, he, he jumped him from behind, and surprised him. So the idea, I think, is that. If it's a one-on-one match without any shenanigans, it will be a different. It could be a different story. But we know it won't be. 
But it yeah. is nonetheless another impressively sized individual for the giant to throw around this ring for presumably no more than four minutes. Um, yeah. Another interesting thing is that even though they're kind of playing babyface to the big monster heel champion in this little sub-series on Nitro, Fire and Ice, they're going up against the Steiners at the pay-per-view. Yeah. You ready for the second hour, Dean? Well, it's, it's 30 seconds away. So I better be, because, you know, if I'm not, it's, it's, gonna, it's just going to creep up on me anyway. The question is, is are we going to see a little dynamite stick or timer on the screen uh, come out very shortly in early March when AEW presents Revolution and they main event, did you see the news, Dean? They're main eventing with an exploding barbed wire death match. Yes, Shades of Atsushionita, yeah. I, um, I suppose that the only thing I can think of is you've got to let Moxley and Omega get this out of their system because they were always going to do this. Well, Moxley, yeah, definitely, and, and um, Omega just, I guess, uh, Omega with his uh, knowledge and respect for the history of wrestling in Japan is thinking about Onita filling 50,000 capacity stadiums, baseball stadiums oh. in Japan. With, Omega's with always had like a fascination, that. for sure. I mean, you remember that yeah. first match the two had, which yeah. was just unnecessarily self-indulgent hardcore stuff. And I know some people loved it, but I'm the first, and I'm a, I'm an AEW fan, but I did not really enjoy that first match between the two. Speaking yeah, well, of AEW, I was just about to say <laughs> seamless link from me there because yes, yeah, speaking of AEW, here comes the giant, the world heavyweight champion, who is of course AEW's latest acquisition as a a commentator, and apparently he will be getting in the ring at some point. I mean, he's 49 now, but. What interested me this week was was how there definitely seemed to be a vibe of this feels like when WCW would poach big names from the WWF. I mean, in this instance, I think it's a it's a shrewd pickup for AW because above all else, forget because we know his in ring days are winding down, but above all else, big sh- I, I'm shocked he hasn't done more as far as television acting and presenting. AEW has this, uh, pardon the pun of the name, it has this Go Big Show that has Cody Rhodes and um, Snoop Dogg and others on it, right? The mm-hmm. talent show on American TV. Um, you'd imagine there's going to be inroads there. Um, he was very well received on Netflix with the Big Show show, but it yeah. got cancelled. But there'll be people involved in the industry who are watching him and saw his, you know, the, the sort of presence and ability to act that he's always had. He's always been fun to watch in those little spots. And but, but also, it's the I think there's the, the public appearances. Just, you know, if you if you put the big show on a chat show, just for the general public to to, to view and consume. He is enormous. He is a he is an attraction because of his size, and grab people's attention. So you know, if you've got him there and he's talking about AEW, it will raise people's awareness of the company and the product. The one brick wall they'll potentially hit, though, is you'll inevitably have somewhere makes an appearance where they'll call him Big Show 
or they'll mistakenly say, you'll get a graphic come up on the screen as he's giving a promo hype in AEW's next pay-per-view that says a WWE wrestler, because this has always been a situation. This is, this is obviously WWE's bread and butter. This is what they try to do for the most part. They establish themselves so much as the brand that anyone else gets, I think some wrestlers have told a story like Kurt Angle, and others in TNA have said that people come up to them and ask them why they retired Ooh. when they were active in TNA. Choke slam on the floor. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> I was going to say back in the ring, and I realized when it isn't in the ring, it was it was on the floor. But um, that's going to be it. And you said you said four minutes, and it was less than half that. There's and no point really in wasting too giant. much time, is there? No, but that really pushes the giant. In the, you know, that was a one-on-one, straight-up match, no shenanigans. Norton had a lot of offense. Here, comes, here comes Luger. Luger. So, and this, of is our main event for the pay-per-view. That also means that both Sting and Luger have had skirmishes before they defend the tag titles later tonight. Ooh. This could become more of a, less of a skirmish and more of a beating for Luger, though he's in trouble. And there we see in the background that Ric Flair's banquet table is set. Oh my goodness, he's just turned over Ric Flair's banquet no, table. No, not the Disrespect. banquet table. He's going to choke. He's going to choke slam him through the table. He choke slammed Luger through outrage. a table a few weeks ago. You remember? But this time he goes low, Luger. And he's just hit him over the back with a. Metal jug, something. See, this makes sense because they've had giant dominant for weeks, but just he's about to defend the title, it makes sense that Luger's managed to get a shot in. The Dungeon yeah. of Doom have come for backup, but they didn't try to attack Luger. You could tie that in, I suppose, to uh, the fact that Luger was tight with them for a while. Yeah. Now, you know, all I will say is there are, there's, I will tolerate a lot, but I will not tolerate desecration of Ric Flair's banquet table. That is an outrage. Exactly. So uh, the gloves are off, says Luger. He's up, he's up with Bischoff and Bobby Heenan now because we've switched over to those two guys and we've got the uh, the superior now's position up by the back of the stadium. We are pushing over, pushing out the matches tonight. I mean, this has been a very high-paced show. We've had look at this fellow. My goodness, <laughs> this is a very, very young Billy Kidman. And now, Dean, I, I am not in a position to say who takes steroids and performance in or physique enhancers in in wrestling. Um, and who doesn't? But if you take a look at Billy Kidman here, he's an extremely slender young man. And you think of late WCW and his, his WWE run when he did pack a, a bit of muscle for someone his size. And you kind of draw your own conclusions as to what some wrestlers had to do to get noticed. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, people do, you know, get thicker and and stockier as as time goes on often where they're very skinny with with age but on the other hand the the old adage if it looks too good to be true it probably is exactly and regal has just immediately 
launched himself at Kidman, jumped him from behind, is reining in those forearm uppercuts. Yeah, this should be a massacre. They're, they're hyping Regal up for a match versus Sting. They've really tried to show that. Obviously, he plays a, he plays a lot for comedic effect, much akin to Diamond Dallas Page as a heel at the time. But if they want him to be a threat to Sting, they've got to show that ruthlessness a bit here. But he still managed to do that with falling flat on his face after getting drop kicks in the back of the head. And apparently... Regal's down and uh, Kidman's on the top rope now. Yeah. What's he going to do here? Uh, oh, man, he went for a 450 splash. He didn't quite land all the way <laughs> and landed on his knees and his face. And Regal's looking very happy. Oh, sweet belly to double belly underhook, belly to belly. Wow. Oh, man, oh. a Boston Crab where he's treading on the back of his head. And here's and here Sting. Sting. It's going to be a busy night for Sting. He's going to be out more than me and Gene. Okay, so... Was that was that that match was what a minute long? Uh, let me look. Probably, yeah. Could it that was could that be seven seconds to be precise? Could that be the greatest match of all time that didn't hit the minute mark? <laughs> Quite honestly, easily. honestly, it was it was nonstop. It was fun. They busted out some sweet moves. Regal's facials were spot on, and the way he mocked. Kidman for missing that uh, 450 was entertaining. That was 50 seconds second. That was 57, sorry, seconds of pure entertainment. It was. Meanwhile, the oh. feud between the Nazis and the public enemy must continue, Dean. Does it have to? It, yeah, I'm sorry, it has to. And here, here come the Nazi boys with their fucking awful ring entrance music. Yeah. Imagine trying to rip off the WWE version of the music, but adding knobs and sags themselves doing lyrics. I think I'd rather stay in lockdown for another five years and listen to this. But the, the, the WWF music was was lots of it was like scratching, wasn't it? Basically, if you listen carefully to this, and uh, please don't unless you really feel the need to. But yeah, it is they're essentially doing that here again as well. You can hear it now. Here come Public Enemy. They are jumping the ring without any intros. So, um, we've got to get our timelines adjusted a little bit because I know we covered their Bash at the Beach 96, presumably the feud ender that is ahead of this. But if I remember correctly, a couple of their meetings on Nitro have actually been decent. Whereas by the time Bash of the Beach rolled around, everyone was sick of it and they were really overdoing <laughs> yeah. it and wearing it out. But let's see where this one sits on the on the scale, I suppose, of walk around. We've, we've got the uh, split screen here, which once more has been rendered pointless because they're now together. Yeah, they basically go to. They like to establish that this is a match that needs it, don't they? Look at this. Yeah. Here's that camera. You're going to need this to keep up. And obviously, this is also in '96. This is a bit of a flex. This sort of technology is like relatively new. Yeah, because you think about the the all around the venue brawls that they would have in ECW, and it would be one camera at, at a time, and the director would flick between the two. Which actually worked well because it kind of then kept the highlights of um, 
of what's happening in and cut out the, the dull bits in between. Yeah. But they are well and truly split up again now. We've got sags outside, knobs inside. For now. So the referee's not even trying to enforce this match. I mean, this wasn't announced as anything special, was it? No. I think it's one of the things where an official goes in with low expectations. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Heenan's already segueing onto his duties at the paid view where he'll be in the horseman's corner. Yeah, he said he hasn't managed anyone for close to six years. Apparently, we are going to have tags now after oh. three minutes of fighting. The referee has restored order by standing there in the ring. Kudos to him. As long as he doesn't try and sell a punch, eh? <laughs> yes. As we have seen on this podcast, over the years, Nick Patrick's selling of ref bumps never got any better, did it? Yeah. It, it, even You remember he even got to the point where WCW wasn't a thing anymore and they ran Invasion and he was awful in that alleged mm. match against Dole Hebner. So, uh, this is, uh, I think yeah. this, this match was better when it was a brawl all around the building. <laughs> I was just going to I was going to say, oh, what was it? The JR thing? Bowling shoe ugly? <laughs> yeah. Put these two teams in an exploding barbed wire death match. I'm, I'm in, just interested to see how that gets, is received because... I mean, I remember when when I was in One PW in Doncaster, and we we would have um, like hardcore matches called Survival of the Sickest, which were quite well received. And it wasn't, you know, it was just it was one match on the card, and there are other types of matches, you know, all different types of matches. And um, and I remember we had a, a main event of Abyss v Steve Carino in a no rope barbed wire match for the first time ever in the UK, and um, and it took it took quite a while. It took like twenty minutes or so to take the ropes down and set the barbed wire. And so, as one of the, the commentators, you know, I, my job was to kind of to, obviously we weren't filming that, so I was kind of filling with the live the live audience. And I remember on more than one occasion because we did, yeah, we, we would have a fair few kids and youngsters in the audience. And I remember on a few occasions we said, you know, this is going to be. Not for the faint-hearted, not for the squeamish. We, you know, if if you want to uh, take your kids away, if you basically if you want to go home now, then you know we're, we you're welcome to. We won't take any offence. And pretty much no one left. And they were like parents holding their kids in the audience, these two nuts slice each other up with barbed wire. Well, you tried so to warn them. Yeah, so whether, you know, whether, whether this kind of turned people off of the double, I, I, honestly, I honestly don't know because you know, not everyone's going to buy the pay-per-view. If you're watching weekly TV, then you can kind of censor it. This match is still going on. Yeah. <laughs> 
they're, they're actually, this is going to end up being the longest match on the show at this rate. Um, just looking at things, this is the longest match on the show except for the main event. Oh, oh man. But yeah, finally, you speaking about your straight up no rope barbed wire match, part of me always wondered if they announced that to be the stipulation at Revolution between Moxley and Omega. I mean, that probably would have got just as much of a positive pop from those who are positive about it. Because that's still pretty unprecedented and, and it's been a while since we've had one. Mm. I don't know what they're going to do to um, to add on top of that with with explosions, landmines or whatever. But what you've got to remember is um, TNA attempted to do an electrified cage match once at a lockdown. He had yeah. LAX and Team 3D. And obviously, you don't really want to put your, your wrestlers under too much danger. But there are ways to simulate things like that. What they chose to do was to flicker the arena lights on and off with a with like a generic electric shock noise that reminded me of when the Mountie would shock people with a cattle oh, prod yeah. in, the, in the cartoon era. And it went down like a lead balloon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing with uh, the explosions added to it is that it just adds to the drama of taking a bump into the barbed wire. I mean, taking a bump into the barbed wire in itself should be should be enough. But and and knowing those two, they will be able to to build a build a match and build the tension up masterfully. But you can't really have a a wrestling match in that environment. So. Yeah, the thing that they, especially Omega, are best at is going to be taken away from Yeah. Um, see, I, I'm not even entirely sure of what we'll be seeing. Until, because I did see, for instance, on Twitter, uh, Botchamania Matthew, I think, said that... It, I, I don't know on what basis. Maybe it was mentioned somewhere on the latest Dynamite or something. But apparently there, there's, there's some sort of belief now that it's going to be that uh, he used the term double hell, which I think is a specific type of death match they used talking about FMW earlier, which I think yes, that, that involves the, the mind is where on the outside, right? Of, yeah. Two sides of the ring have got barbed wire across them. Um, presumably with, with explosives in them. And then the other two sides, the ro- there aren't there aren't any strands of barbed wire. There are barbed wire boards on the floor that again have got explosives on. So basically, you would get thrown from the ring apron down to the floor on top of the barbed wire. So it's yeah, double hell because there's two different types of um, of catastrophe, shall we say, waiting. Hmm. The public enemy just attempted to do the uh, Jim Duggan finish with a... Oh, it's not tape. It's an actual cast on his hand. But it only got a two oh. count. And the whole thing looked hideous anyway. There's a trash can. And that's the DQ, I think. That is, because... Oh, that, that got a pop, getting a trash can to the head. Yeah, that that has that has woken this whole thing up, but obviously that's yeah, the direction that, we're going with these two teams anyway. Yeah, that was eleven and a half minutes though to get to there. I mean, we 
we, we could have got there in, in half the time, quarter of the time. We could have got there in half the time and shoved an Eddie Guerrero match in there instead, you know? Oh, it's that time again, Dane. Is it a Poochie promo? Yep. Sorry. But, and of course, we're, we're talking about this with the glorious benefit of hindsight. But of course, it's, it's interesting that they're keeping him very much in our conscious mind with these regular promos. But this is shoving him down our face as a, a true patriotic baby face. Well, the main reason for that, Dean, is because legit, this has been confirmed by pretty much everyone, at this stage, they were very much intending to bring him back like this. They had to talk him into taking the third man role, which obviously was exactly what he needed because this whole thing was played out and he made he made every lick of sense as being facilitating the invasion. It does make you wonder if... He'd have said no. Who would the third man have been? Bischoff has been adamant it would have been Sting, and I don't think it'd have gone down very well. But but you no. never you'd never know, like how he would have carried himself as a hill, because he never really got the chance. Mm. Um, I remember he like that one thing I did appreciate about T- TNA era until a certain writer pretty much took all the decent storytelling out of it, bro, was you had the main event mafia where Sting was the head of the stable and the and the, uh, the hill. But in his head, he was doing all of this for noble reasons. And then it transpired that everyone else he's associating with, like Angle and Nash, were doing it for the money and the power. And that led yeah. to him being kicked out. And that was always the vibe you got. That's always, you got the impression that's where it was heading. You wanted to watch and see more. But it was so ADHD, the whole storytelling. Most people tuned out uh, because the difference between 2006 and 2009 figures and interest in TNA was was a really, really sad story. But that is a a very interesting point because it's one thing that... um that Terry Funk says in his, um, in his autobiography. It's a really valid point that a heel should always feel that what they're doing is justified in their own mind. Even if no one else agrees with them, the heel has to think that they're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, to an extent. But it, it, the diamond dynamic worked in that you had um, heels, obviously they're, they're all justified, the main event method. They all think they should be on top. But in but in Sting's mind, he he is giving the AJ Styles and Samoa Joes tough love because they had all at certain stages disrespected Sting, and he felt he had to uh, he had to take action. Whereas the Angles and the Nashes couldn't give a monkey's toss what Joe and Styles were doing. They wanted to make sure they were ahead of the guys who were better wrestlers than them. So there was a hell of a story to tell there, and it's a shame that the person in most in charge of telling that story couldn't tell a story to save his life. Yes. Well, while while we've been having this discussion, we're having a quite lengthy recap of the most recent events leading up to our wrestlers v footballers match next next week's pay per view. Uh, where Bobby Heenan has agreed not to manage, but to coach Flair and Anderson. And the Macho Man has just arrived in 
the training gym to help train Steve McMichael and Kevin Green. Yeah, I'll say this much. We've had to resort to a lot of side conversations, Dean, because there's been so much video filler on this episode. And that makes it, we're three episodes into this era of two-hour nitros. And episodes two and three of that era, I maintain, probably could have been trimmed down to be the same size as the old episodes. Mm. And then, obviously, you had the special one, which, which they did a better job with, with Scott Hall showing up and that. Yeah, and we we also have seen like a lot more filler matches. You know, guys like Jim Powers and Billy Kidman would never have got on uh, not would never have got on Nitro previously when it was down to an hour. Well, you say that, but we had matches like Conan versus Devon Storm at one point, so mm. they just would have done it on a very long rotation, and their appearances would have been like once every six months. And uh, not for the first time, but on this show but the first time together here comes Sting and Luger yeah and I think it's safe to say that we are well and truly beyond the stage of asking what is the deal with Sting and Luger there is no more deal Dean there is no more deal no it's a shame it was fun while it lasted so we're going to have a very biased commentator for this one in Heenan He's always, he's always he's always pro heels in general, but now he has a very direct vested interest in watching the men he's about to coach at the pay-per-view potentially pick up the tag team titles. And of course, Flair is accompanied by Woman and Liz. He's, Rick Flair seems to be in great spirits for a man who lost his banquet table. And he's as lecherous as ever. Yes. Woman looking forward to cheating, no doubt. Oh, yeah. She's had to wait all day. They've pushed her to the main event slot. She's had to wait for two hours, Dean, to get the opportunity to rake someone's eyes. That is that is cruel. She'll make up for lost time, I'm confident. Absolutely. So, uh, we've still got a 20 minutes left in the broadcast. So, and you said that this is going to be the longest match on the show. Yeah. So this has the potential to be a bit of a banger. I think so. So according to Bischoff, we were going to see as the main event of Nitro, the debut of Joe Gomez and his tag partner, the Renegade. And a lot of people were looking forward to that. And they've been disposed of or dispatched by Flair and Anderson. I don't think anyone in the country gave a toss about Joe Gomez and the Renegade. I was going to say, when you said that Flair and Anderson dispatched the two of them, did they also dispatch of all their fans who were clamouring for that? I think so. Probably, probably doubled their workload for the night. Yeah, talking of things that have been dispatched, has uh, any deliveries arrived yet? <laughs> yeah, I, I can safely report the match has hardly started and I can safely report Flair is in full Flair mode. He has yep. skipped over to Sting and given him a casual push on the chest and got knocked on his ass. And we haven't and, had the first formal lock-up yet. No, and can I also state that Ric Flair is wearing red, which which surely points that the 
tag team titles are going nowhere. Although he was wearing red the last time he wrestled, I noticed. I didn't actually mention it during the watch-along, but he uh, he was victorious wearing red very recently. Ah, okay. So there. Maybe it's just a rule that applies to pay-per-view matches or stick, title matches. Stick to BBC ah, coverage. Stick to BBC coverage of, of major sporting events then. <laughs> With your tinfoil hat. <laughs> So, Flair and Luger to start. What's the over-under on Gorilla Press Slams? What, for the whole match? I mean, just the opening sequence could see three or four. Well, I think we're getting ready for one. Yes, There's we one. Are. It hurts to be this right. It really does. So... So so far, Ric Flair has chopped Luger five times. None of them had an effect. He's been grilla pressed and eaten three clotheslines. Mm-hmm. So everything is normal in WCW land. And you know what this means as well. That at some point later in this match, we are going to see Ric Flair shithousery. Yes. He may even attempt a trip to the top rope or two, and I can't see him going well. Yeah. Now, we, we noticed we were talking about our uh, our listeners, and we are gaining listeners in the United States. So good good day to you if you're listening from the US. For our American friends, Liam, could you give them uh, an, an, an approximate definition of the great British term shithousery? I would be happy to. Uh, it is becoming the, the fa- thanks to the influence of soccer slash football. I suppose it is starting to really become the the overwhelming term. I've heard some Americans use it, but maybe not oh, like massively. Press slam so number two. Here's press slam number two. Shit housery is generally just being a a monumental douche. Usually by I mean I would define shit housery as when you're doing it, you know by as as part of the tactics when you're doing it strategically. Um, I suppose a good American or Canadian reference to a comparison to make would be uh, when you have a spoiler or a goon in hockey whose job it is just to rough up the other side, start fights and stop them playing. Right. Um, obviously, soccer has its fair share of, of notorious ones, such as Sergio Busquets. Uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoy if I if I ever play a bit of football, which isn't as much these days anymore. But I would generally play defensive midfield, and I would attempt to rough up players and annoy them and piss them off because it works. And, and of course, a, a wrestling manager such as myself will partake in a, a bit of shithousery from time to time Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, I'll give you a good example. One of my favourite wrestling. Uh, cases of shithousery and it's really underappreciated. Do you remember when we were talking about the Radicals earlier? Mm. When they debuted, they, they quickly turned heel and joined Triple H. They had a match, I think it was Malenko, Benoit and Saturn at No Way Out 2000 against Rikishi and Too Cool. Because I think Guerrero got injured pretty quickly. So you had the other three left, six-man tag, and Dean Malenko spent pretty much all of the match breaking up covers, getting the referee out of position and little stuff like that. And it made it so satisfying when he ended up being the guy who got pinned at the end by Rikishi 
Yeah. And you'll remember here's one for you, Dean. You you were you were ringside when Mark Sloan did a deliberate shit house job in was that the uh, street fight with Alex Shane and Ulf Herman? Do you remember oh, that one? Uprising three. And his whole job was to ruin the one night stand finisher and to move weapons out of the way before before the fans got a big spot with a table. And in the end he got one night standed through a table. So it was like super poetic. Do you remember that one, nice. or is it five I, concussions? I I was um, I don't know if I was watching the match if I was backstage still at that point, but I I can always remind myself because all the FWA back catalogue is uh, now available on YouTube. So, yes, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think but, you um, were there for that one because I think it was like the last hurrah of the old school faction, and then after that, Greg Lambert showed up and it became the family, wasn't it? Who uh, the, who oh, I main... see. So, yeah, sorry, I was going a bit ahead of time there. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean now. Yeah, but um, I think that was the match. Yeah, there's, there's a great, there's a great. Um, oh, Flair, Flair is going for the. Um, he's getting a chair from his um, banqueting table. He's I knew he down. was mad about that. He was just hiding it. Yeah, but there is there is a very good um, Twitter account, football shit housery, that you can follow. Um, well worth it. And as I said, you can follow us if you don't already at because WCW on Twitter or facebook.com forward slash because WCW um, where you can see all the links to all our new podcasts or you can subscribe to us um, wherever you get your podcasts from. Please do subscribe. You'll get a new episode the moment it releases. Uh, you can rate and review us as well. Keep, keep spreading the good word of because WCW. And as I finish what virtually is a commercial for this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, are you uh, signing off? Commercial break. Are you signing off in the middle of the main event, Dean? I, I'm just, I'm just riffing, you know. <laughs> so we've now got Anderson and Sting in the ring, and Anderson's just getting beaten up by both Luger and Sting, slapped in the ears and. The heels aren't having a good time of it, really. Not in this match. No. Great selling, though. This this is what we know they do as a team. And Flair wants another piece of the two men who have basically bounced him around the ring for yes. for the duration of this match so far. But Flair is in, has taken the advantage with a knee to the knee to the guts and a, a chop on the sting, which which now isn't being sold. Normal service has been resumed. I think the first one had a slight effect, so he's improving. Yeah. But the sting of splash misses. So the now splash doesn't. maybe the horseman will now get a little bit of control. No, they won't because Ric Flair's gone up to the top <laughs> rope and know what happens. Here we go. Now, does this count as press slam three? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rick, you had the world in your hands and you had to go to the top. And here's Sting on the top. Clothesline. I thought he was going to go for the top rope cross body block, but then I realised that would be the end of the match most likely. Arn made sure to pull the hair or gouge the eyes for the cover rather than just doing your typical like forearm club save. 
And it just yep. reminded me of that match on an earlier Nitro that Ric Flair won, where he put his opponent was knocked out cold. Big superplex by Sting. He had an opponent knocked out cold, Ric Flair. He put his feet on the ropes for the cover anyway and then raked his opponent's <laughs> eyes after the free count. And it was yes. the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Another great example of shit housery from Ric Flair. Absolutely, especially it's the ultimate shit when you're not even needing to do it to secure yeah. a win, and you're just adding it after the fact for fun. That is yep. the ultimate shit house. Can I point out we're we're a good ten minutes at the very least into this match, and woman hasn't cheated once yet. We we may have to get her to a, an emergency facility and get her hooked up on. She's going to suffer extreme withdrawals here. I think. How is she going so long without 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 smacking someone or getting her shoe off and gouging it in someone's eye? Classic spine buster from Arn Anderson, which she then floats over into a cover, but only gets a two count. And he's attempting to get multiple. That's an underrated thing where where Hill goes for the cover like loads of times in frustration. He's trying to just pin Sting's hands down onto the mat now, and it's giving Sting the chance to power back up like a test of strength. Oh, knees to the nuts. <laughs> Sold as only Arn can sell. Oh yeah. And what's great is he's then just pulling himself along to the, by the ropes to get to the to flare in the corner and then holds on to Sting's leg to stop Sting tagging out. Anchored him and, with a heel hook, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is what I absolutely loved about watching Arn Anderson. It, it's the little things like that that just make a difference. WCW have done a really good job in recent Nitros. Once per episode, they'll give us a match like this, won't they? And mm. 75% of the time, it involves Flair and or Anderson. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, this is a main event caliber match between four bona fide main eventers. Oh. But the problem you, you get over time is that, you know, you need to freshen the mix up. However, we know we already know that the main event mix is going to be freshened up more than anyone could ever imagine. Absolutely. And if you are going to stay in the holding pattern, please, at the very least, do it with guys like this. Because mm. there, there are levels to status quo. And you, if you're going to insist on a status quo for any given period of time, at least give us a, a happy, comfortable one. Yeah. So we, we're going to another commercial break. So this match has gone over three segments. Proper main event for the show here. You'd think they, they could have possibly got away with having this match run the entire two-hour episode, given how little else they've had. <laughs> it's not been a bad episode by any means, but there's been a lot of filler. But that yeah, Regal-Kidman match was fun for a minute. Yeah, Literally. I mean, it's... it's, it's... It's filler. It's it is pushing the pay per view. It is reminding us of what what is going on, trying to get us to uh, to order that show. 
So we're now on the outside. We still only feel about halfway through this match, don't we? I don't know how long it's gone. I think we should, surely, we should be getting towards the end of it. We've got eight minutes left on the show, but we, we're going, you know, you're going to have the thing with a hot tag and then a grandstand finish as well, aren't you? You'd think so. And Sting and Flair are still having a whale of a time with the heat segment. And poor woman hasn't been able to cheat. At this rate, she's going to end up gouging Elizabeth eyes at ringside <laughs> if she doesn't get... <laughs> the front row are not going to be safe. No. Doug Dellinger. Flair just got a tag from Arn Anson while locked in a Sting backslide, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah, there's two things that one wants to do. It's gouge someone in the eyes and flirt with Mean Gene and make him uncomfortable. He never looks uncomfortable, to be fair. He, he, he looks like he wishes the cameras would go off so he could follow on from it. Which is what makes him uncomfortable, the cameras on it. <laughs> Can Sting finally make the hot tag? Yes, just. This has been fun so far. Now, they want to keep Luger strong because Luger's main event in the pay-per-view against the Giant. Well, now he gets to do his favourite hobby. Number no four. No sell Ric Flair. Yeah, yep, press slam number four. I said the over-under would be about four. four well, I thought we'd have we'd have three press slams and we've had more than that. Oh, oh yeah. no, I thought it was going to be five and that was a power slam. Well, the over-under is normally like 4.5. They put it there yeah. so that it, whatever actual number it can be go either goes over or under. Yeah. Now, I think the... 3.5 would have been a fair over-under. Yeah, I don't know if something's happening because the crowd... Yes, the, the th something happening is that the giant is approaching. I was going to say, woman and Elizabeth backed off and and the crowd all stood up like something was happening and the giant has come back into the ring to uh, confront Luger. Luger is now flying some forearms, but he's just got cut off by the giant and I think he's going to get chokeslammed here. Jack really speaks volumes about the Giants' presence, that he doesn't have to sneak in. Oh, here's Scott Steiner with a chair. A wooden oh, chair. Fucking hell, right in the call, right in the shoulder. And his thing with a wooden chair. Where are these wooden chairs coming from? I don't know. I'm guessing I'm guessing Rick Steiner had the uh the day off. Although here's yeah. a question, maybe maybe he was at home with WWE Performance Center newest signing, his son. Is it Bronson Steiner? Bronson Rex Steiner, yeah. Mm. And of course, uh, Lord Stephen Regal, as he's called on this show, his son Bailey Matthews debuted on uh, NXT just this week. Interesting. Also, got to give a big shout out by the way to uh, Pretty Deadly Lewis Howley and Sam Stoker who made their start as a tag team on uh, IPW and Fight Nation, where I've commentated for. And, uh, yeah, they've uh, become tag champs just recently. Nice. Here's Mean Gene again. <laughs> he almost ripped Mean Gene's arm off, getting the mic up to his to yes. his level. So the last two matches have ended in DQs, and I think this is something that, did become, as time went on, did become a, a habit of Nitro main events ending in DQs due to interference. That's very true. But I think the gist of that was that Giant wants no DQ at the pay-per-view. He said, bring your chairs, bring everything. Bring your lunch. 
bring you lunch, like he did when he was camped outside the arena that time. Do you remember a few nitros ago? Um, yes. Oh, Heenan's gone crazy. Now, all I'm saying, Liam, is we've just had the end of the last match and there's still four minutes of this broadcast left. One, one thing I liked about that giant running, though, I was, I was saying earlier, he doesn't have to sneak down or get behind Luger for a blindside. He mm. casually walks into the ring, steps over the ropes, because he knows whether, he, whether they see him coming or not, he's going to hurt someone. Yeah. And it and took also, three of them to get him out. And also, I've just got to say that we've just had a furious Bobby Heenan cutting an awesome promo, and he is now conveniently left the broadcast position. He turned on a as, sixpence there. Yes, just as Scott Hall turns up. Not in double denim this time. He's in. Uh, he's wearing a, a, an open leather waistcoat and uh, a pair of black jeans, I think. He's distinctly more cocky and smirky, Scott Hall. And he's still got the kiss kill and he's still got a, um, a uh, what do you call it, a toothpick. And look behind you, Mr. Bischoff, Kevin Nash has turned yeah, he up. He said, That's where the is big the big surprise? Snatches the mic from Bischoff, who has seen a ghost. And here's, here's Nash with his first go on the mic. And we're, I think we know where this goes. Here we go. Yes, look at the adjective, play. And you ain't here to learn your English language, are you? The crowd scene... Don't seem as I don't know. The crowd seem more muted than I thought. I they they can't believe that he made a basic grammatical error. That that is it. Is it there in oh, shock? Absolutely. That that is everything. <laughs> uh, Nash is reiterating so, that they want a a free person challenge, which again is just laying that early premise that there's one more surprise to come. Yes. Bischoff wants no trouble. Yeah, Bischoff has gone from, so where's your big surprise? Why don't you walk the walk to, I don't want any trouble. And the biggest pop of the night so far is the threat of uh, Kevin Nash kicking Bischoff's teeth down his throat. He, he says he hasn't got a paleontologist to get some of these fossils cleared to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> where's Hogan? Out doing another episode of Blunder Paradise. And the matcha man's doing some Slim Jim commercials. No, he's training Kevin Green and um, Stephen Michael. You do have the authority, Bischoff. He lies. Yes. He says he doesn't have the authority. But do you know what? Bischoff, credit to Bischoff, he is looking like he's shitting himself at this point. Live this Sunday. He's inviting them to show up. Oh, he said, you show up at Great American Bash, I'll see if I can get you your fight. They're, they're promising and, uh, to be Hall's, in Baltimore. Scott Hall is still uh, using his uh, Hispanic accent. 
roughing well, Paul, uh, roughing Bischoff up a little bit. Indeed. So there's your second big debut. Okay, well that brings the episode of Nitro to an end. Indeed. It was an interesting. I mean, I'd uh, thumbs up, but it was it was more of a slog just because of video packages and repeated material and, and stuff. But I mean, we still had a lot of matches. We had. Um, I'm just trying to count that like one, two, three, four, five, six. So we had eight matches there. With the exception of the May 27th episode, the first two-hour episodes, we've had a couple of episodes that they could have really condensed down if they trimmed the fat. Um, and yeah, we had to endure stuff like that really tedious, nasty boys public enemy match, uh, a, a, an overload of promo videos. But there was some serious movement there. Some of the some of the short matches were worth watching. Sting and Men always have a have a good go of each other. They kept that short and sweet because Sting was back out for the main event. Um, Kidman and Regal just blew me away. Just how much fun they could yeah. in fifty seven seconds in one in one minute. Yeah. yeah. So there there was enough. And uh, as we said, a certain to a certain extent, the hype videos. It's good to see just before pay per view. Certain matches yeah. need hyping up. They they went overboard hyping up the uh, the Horseman versus the footballs because they've been talking about it all show. We didn't even need the video really. Uh, but so, so considering that we didn't have Sullivan, didn't have Benoit, didn't have um, Malenko, didn't have Mysterio on there, yeah, give them a video package because then then you've got a, a, a smoother, more varied TV package that that ticks every box, I suppose. Definitely, yeah. So let's yeah let's see where things go from here. Um, over on Raw, it was a taped Raw, by the way. Um, we had Owen Hart beating Yokozuna in a King of the Ring qualifying match. Mark Merrow with Sable beating Skip. And then our main event was David Boy Smith beating The Undertaker by countout. So just three matches over on Raw. I think uh, I think Nitro got the better deal that week. Um, so yeah, we we uh, our, our next uh, Nitro watch along, which we'll probably do in a few weeks' time, um, will be the the day after. Um, it'll be the fallout of the Great American Bash. Yeah, um, considering how much we're looking forward to that pay-per-view, it'd be rude not to do what we did with Starcade 95, wouldn't it? Indeed. So, yes, next time, next episode, episode, what's that, 88, 88. we will be covering the Great American Bash 1996 because it is a pay-per-view that we haven't done yet and it fits perfectly in with the timeline of these Nitro watch-alongs. So, um, so, yeah, we've got ourselves a guest lined up. Uh, I'm going to be watching the pay-per-view back this weekend, and um, I'm guessing sometime next week we will record that episode and uh, and put it out wherever you get your podcast from. Fingers crossed. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, I do get worried about like pre- you know, announcing these things. Like when I when I tweeted that we we're recording a new episode tonight, and then all our technology went down. How so, dare um, you! Yes, hopefully that I haven't I haven't ruined everything. Uh, but yeah, we will be back next week with a review of Great American Bash 1996. In the meantime, as I mentioned earlier, you can follow us on Twitter at becausewcw on facebook.com forward slash becausewcw, um, and you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Rate and review us. We would love to uh, hear hear from you on that. Um, 
and any any also yeah we we don't just save this for Christmas. Any any thoughts, any questions you'd like to ask us, then do please um send them our way on the uh, on the Twitter account or drop us an email. Um, we always love to hear from you guys, uh, and um and we'll endeavour to answer them either on social media or indeed on this podcast. So um. It's it's, uh, it's it's weird to be finishing this with the uh, bright sunshine outside, but hey, it's the benefit of an afternoon podcast, Liam. Yes, it's about time we've seen some daylight. We always feel so cooked up doing these things, but yeah, we get ourselves a little day trip. Marvellous. Right, well, we will leave things there. So thank you ever so much for listening to us, wherever you, in the world you may be, but especially if you are in the wrestling heartland parts unknown on behalf of liam this is me dean saying thanks for listening we'll see you ringside